hosts for this evening, the Rolling Stones, the best, the best recurring joke the whole time. The John best. Lennon just the being best. insufferable with his recurring joke. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean insufferable in the best way. Like, I oh, think yeah. his his humor shines through so well in this documentary. Yeah, just in general, I agree. And he he does a lot of uh throughout this episode, especially he's doing. I think he's doing like a Bob Dylan voice a lot of the time when he sings. Not like yeah. a make fun of him way, but. He's doing like a that kind of thing. It's just great. They do so many funny accents. They do American accents. Um, yep. When they're singing, two of us riding nowhere. They're doing like these ridiculous Scottish accents. <laughs> and oh, I, yeah. I like can only hear that song in Scottish accents now. Oh, it's too good. All right. So we just rewatched me for the I kind of second slash third time. I kind of. Watched it last week and then kind of rewatched some snippets of it today. And then you're rewatching it again, so it's fresh. Because we watched yeah. it when it came out, right? You know, I admit that I was guilty of watching episode one and two, but not watching episode three. It felt like a Herculean task at the time. Um, it, I'm like, these things, it's like the Lord of the Rings, man. These things are like two and a half hours each. And well, it's, it's uh, Peter Jackson. Oh my God! Yeah, that's right. It is Peter Jackson. I swear, <laughs> I swear, I did not remember that when I made the the comparison there. But man, it's all coming together. It's all falling into place. Well, I will say, I think that the third episode, and I just rewatched it with with our uncle Andy, who hadn't seen any of it. Um, the th- third episode is the big payoff at the rooftop concert and stuff. Yeah. So I think that's the really fun one. Cool. So I mean, we'll get to that. But for now, next week, hopefully, we, hopefully it won't be another nine months until uh, or whatever the hell I it's been. I think we got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, the opening scene, this is like the low point of the series. <laughs> this is yeah. like Sad. only only Ringo shows up. <laughs> and I I feel like I've been that guy, but maybe I've been John in this situation. Yeah. But like he's just sitting there with uh, the director, Michael. And just trying to, you know, discuss what's going on, how George is. And uh, they get flowers from Harry Krishna, which is hilarious um, for George, who's not there. And uh, Mm -hmm. sorry, the Harry Krishna people, they call him, not literally Harry Krishna. And um, Mm. and then uh, Michael goes, did you did you like India? And and, uh, Ringo says, not really. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like it kind of just sets the tone off, just like a lot of negativity. Everyone's down. Um, How did you feel about Ringo being the only one that shows up? It's like (laughs) usually Ringo's the guy who's like, I'm out. Yeah. I you know, I kind of loved. Well, first of all, I wrote down a little thing that says Ringo's wife is present pregnant so that's like something that he mentions that's kind of cute and then what i thought was interesting is that so paul is the next to show up right uh paul paul and linda i think yeah and and there's i can't remember who says it if it's paul or or ringo but there's a shot it's a shot of the two of them and one of them says and then there were two and in my head i was like oh those are the the two that are currently still alive so um Emily, that's sad and dark. And is it? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You know, it, it does make me really sad knowing that George and John are gone watching this because they're, su- they're such, like, luminary personalities, you know? It, Big personalities. Yeah, yeah, and it's, like, so sad. But, yeah, then Paul arrives, and they discuss the whole John and Yoko dynamic, which is really interesting because, of course, yep. you know, everyone blames Yoko on, on breaking up the Beatles. And right. um, you can tell they are a little over her being there all the time and i remember paul was like you know we used to have uh um you know the our manager who would tell hey like just the boys bring your leave your ladies at home lads like that whole thing oh yeah 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 go for it go for it it's uh we we need i think he says the word daddy 9 a.m lads leave your girls at home yeah (laughs) and you can tell that there's definitely like a, a power vacuum and they're trying to figure out how much they can push in order to get the other Beatles to, you know, fall in line. And it's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a, when, you know, when the cats are away, the mice will play. So like John Lennon staying up to like five o'clock watching movies and and smoking and like then showing up the next day, (laughs) like super late and not really having any excuse for it other than there's not really that father figure or uh, adult in the room, so to speak, who's like, you know, telling them what to do and making sure that they kind of toe the line, which, you know, when, when you when you reach newfound freedom in almost any phase of your life, whether it's like going to college or, you know, maybe you have the, the house to yourself for the weekend, your your routines kind of go out the window sometimes. Yeah your discipline goes out the window and next thing you know you're like watching movies until 4 a.m i know i'm guilty of that <laughs> doing that oh, quite i'm definitely a bit. guilty of that but um i thought that um i thought that and i think it was uh this com this conversation i think this was actually like um after the hidden mic conversation that i'm thinking about and we'll get to the hidden mic conversation yeah interesting but john does in his own humorous way, like apologize for being late and, um, yeah. and then being like, oh, you know, um, cause you can tell that Paul is upset about it, but he's really trying to contain himself cause he just got ripped for being like the guy who's like pushing them too hard or like being a dick about them right. about like, Hey, let's hurt, let's be serious about this thing or whatever. Yeah. So it is, it is, uh, good to see John, um, you know, kind of uh, doing this mea culpa and and letting everyone know, like, yeah, my bad, I did this stuff. I'm I'm too late, but um, I thought that was you know a very uh, very human uh, moment of the show for John because yeah. the rest of it is John just being a total goofball, which is <laughs> awesome. But yeah. like seeing his willingness to accept responsibility was uh, was you know a nice moment. I have to say. Um from the beginning of episode two to the end, it's such like a like an upward arc. Like the beginning yeah. starts like, okay, George just walked out. They keep reminding us that yeah, George yeah. has left the Beatles and he's gone. And the other three are like, what, wh- where are we at? You know, kind of confused about where they're at with that. And then, um, and I won't jump ahead, but, you know, things just start to get better and better and better. And we just both watch the end of the episode and it's like they're they're just they're just chuckling and they're giving each other shit and it feels like they're kind of back you know like they're comfy and they're it's like a really good it ends on a really high note it starts on i agree like this kind of slow bitter 
and they're still in the stupid twi- twi- Twickingham or Twickingham. Yeah. Twickingham. Yeah. It's tough. So, yeah, it just so. And then so how I don't want to jump ahead too much, but how did you feel? So John arrives for lunch. Like you said, he just yeah. does the apology. And I agree. It's very kind of him kind of he knows he's making a joke yeah he's right. like oh yeah i was just up late the, you know doing this and that and then you can tell that everyone else is a little bit perturbed by it they've like they're yeah. like we've been here since 10 <laughs> so and then they they kind of set the ground rules like look if we say 10 let's get here at 10 like yeah that th- they it's basically i mean <laughs> and they're so they have like this british humor about it where they're like joking about it the whole time like everything is a joke but you can tell that it's like yeah. serious Tensions are high, and um, yeah. so how did you feel morally about the Mike in the flower pot? Um, I mean, it was very like Italian mafia, <laughs> you know, like let, <laughs> yeah. let's uh, <laughs> let's catch these guys, kind of thing. Um, well, uh, and go ahead. I I don't I didn't really I've honestly not thought about it morally. I'm really happy that they did it, <laughs> like really happy that they did it. But at the same time, I mean, it doesn't feel good to to be secretly recorded <laughs> that never well, feels good i gotta say though i mean you know at the end of each episode it flashes on the screen like the producers are you know paul mccartney ringo Starr, and and yoko ono so paul knows now that they did that and he's yeah. like yeah but you know we have it let's let's put it out there so i feel like we have paul's blessing on that in yeah. a way yeah. So that makes me feel better about it. And and yeah, I agree. I'm I'm really glad that they did it because yeah. So there's a there's a fun dynamic in the hidden mic convo and and it's almost like uh it's almost like a you wear the crown. No, you wear the crown. No, you wear the crown. No, you wear the I crown agree. kind of yeah. thing back and forth between them. But I like how John goes to bat for George. Yeah. He's like he's like, look. Whenever we're doing your song, we have to do it this certain way, and you already have it in your mind, and no matter what we do, you don't want it to be like that. You want it to be how you imagine it, and yeah. there's no give or take. But when it's our songs, all of a sudden, we're all together and like making creative sacrifices. And, um, and then he does go to bat for George in that sense. Like you're, you know, you're yeah. telling George what to do constantly. And you're not giving him the creative freedom in so many words. I mean, they're they're very direct about it. But the hidden mic thing is interesting because you see how much humor they have and levity when the cameras are rolling. And then it's very serious Mm -hmm. in this hidden mic convo. Like there isn't any joking at all. Like there's no like like I said with the other thing where they're like, oh, 10 o'clock, let's show up. But they're making jokes about it the whole time. It's like. They're definitely just being very straightforward, but they they've uh, they kind of said like like uh, Paul said that John like you're the leader everybody follows you and John is like I don't see mm. it like that and um, interesting yeah. and uh, yeah I just kind of thought it was interesting how they were like trying to push each other in that position of power like no you're the one who's in the the driver's seat and then he's like no you are because of this and that so i thought it i thought it was really good that they put everything out on the table like that and they didn't Mm -hmm. take it personally and they were just able to talk it through yeah i i think um i love the way that they talk about george when he's not there and how he's 
I think they use the word unsatisfied a lot and they use the word compromise because it's clear and George we we saw him in the last first episode he's clearly I've been trying for so long to get to get an in here and yeah. you know it's it's just they really take that dynamic on and I just love getting to hear John and Paul speaking with each other um without anyone else around because you can really see how how good of a relationship they have, I'd argue, yeah. how good their communication is. Very how healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. So that was kind of nice to see and to hear. So, so yeah, I they go to George's house. Yeah, so they go again to George's house. and yeah. um, without the ladies. Yeah, no ladies. Mm -hmm. Keep your woman at home or your lady, yep. <laughs> whatever the hell. <laughs> anyway, they, they go back and... The 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 I keep wanting to call it a movie. I guess it's a show, but it feels mm -hmm. like the Lord of the Rings. So anyway, they uh, it says in the subtitles that it was positive and constructive, and they decide to change the direction of the the project. And this is yeah. when they want to go back to Apple Studios and abandon the live TV special. And I think which was a great. Yeah, yeah, I think the the uh, the live TV special was something that George in particular was against. It seems like that was the concession that they made. To me, it feels like that. They, they don't have any yeah. evidence of that because it was a private meeting. But that was what they came out of it with, like going back to Apple, getting out of Twickenham, and abandoning the live TV show idea. And I think that you're right because George, George seems – just unhappy in general in that first episode. And I, I think it was a combination of things, but once, and going back to what I said earlier, it starts really dreary and then it just starts getting better and better. The second they get to Apple, day one of them in Apple, we don't get to see because there's no cameras allowed. We just talk to the Apple scruffs outside. Um, but once we get in Apple Studios and they start filming and everybody's hanging out, they're getting their tea and all that, they're getting food or whatever they're doing. It just they it feels like a huge mood shift for everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody seems happier in Apple Studios and yeah. like their creativity can kind of flow a little better. They get sillier. Paul's playing the drums a lot. It's like you can tell they're more comfy. Does that Yeah, for sure they yeah. are. They're back home, you know? They're yeah, home, yeah. Back home. But uh mm -hmm. I really like this scene right before they're leaving Twickenham where Paul shows up to record a demo and he is playing oh, the yeah. piano and singing Oh Darling. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn Johns is like putting this weird like slapback delay on his voice. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like totally like Big Bopper or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he has that weird talking section in the middle. He's like, oh, darling, yeah. if you were to ever <laughs> leave me. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like the most 50s thing ever right now. Yeah. And uh, with the slapback and all that. But. Yep. I also just love to see like that this song is a sketch and yep. it, I love seeing sketches of great songs. It's like yeah. when you read like those uh, famous like Kurt Cobain notes, like where he's writing li the lyrics of like smells like teen spirit or something. You're like, this was the seed of something that was incredible. Yeah. So like seeing him do Oh Darling in that really goofy way on the piano was just like, um, just you know, uh, an, a little bit of an insight into the future, and I thought that was really cool. I agree. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, it's interesting that he wanted to do that 
alone on the last day when everybody was packing out. It's yeah. it's an interesting, it's kind of a positive last thing that happens in Twickenham. Twickenham, I know I'm saying it wrong. I, I just can't say it like that, but until they go back home. But yeah, it's it's a really special moment part of it, and I'm glad they yeah. put it in there. Yeah, and uh, so they go back, and there's a day in between when they're breaking down Twickenham and trying to set up quote magic alex um his yeah. his like recording setup and this is kind of something that i think it was george martin talked about before like we don't know if we can trust his mechanics and his engineering Be and uh, we know that you know what we have is tried and true and it's like we don't know if we can trust this mm. and they just kind of blow him off in a way like at magic alex is like the guy but this is kind of like a descent for magic alex it's like kind of begins his descent in this show um because george and glenn johns who's a legendary producer and uh, engineer yeah. glenn johns fashion um, <laughs> icon yeah his fashion was incredible <laughs> in the show it's so good yeah so, good. so he, he um they show up george and glenn and uh, there's just nothing but distortion and static uh, mm -hmm. during their recording. So they have to scrap all of Magic Alex's work. Yeah. And then they have, I think, the weekend to get the new studio up and running. And, um, I, God, I wish I wrote down the name of the guy. But, like, one poor, like, soul engineer, like, set everything up all weekend. So I wish I could give him a shout out, but I forgot to write his name down. I don't think I have it either, but I remember that they come on. I think it's a that first day and they're like, we're not quite ready yet. And it's can you imagine the pressure of like, OK, you got to set up this whole studio over your Saturday, Sunday, because the Beatles are coming on Monday and everything better be like good to go. And then it's just kind of not. I mean, that's yeah. got to be stressful. So bless them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. And so. It bleeds into – so they show up on Monday to rehearse, basically, and that's when you're talking about – what is it? The Apple – Apple Scruffs. I almost <laughs> call them the Apple Smurfs. The Apple Scruffs. No, Apple are, Scruffs. You know, they talk, about, they talk about John and Yoko, and they're like, we don't really care about the other Beatles. We're just here for Paul, really. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Paul, sh Paul walks by them, and they're just like, oh, you know, they like buzz <laughs> or whatever. But – I thought it was really cool foreshadowing because they were like, what do you want, you know, from the Beatles? And they're like a live performance, really. And then like yeah. the camera pans up to the roof like they already knew, but they didn't. It was kind of wild. I didn't catch that. That's a good. Catch. Yeah, no, really crazy foreshadowing. Like the ca they say it's literally they say a live performance and maybe it's a little bit of an overdub into another shot where they're like doing some B-roll or something. But like they mm. feel they like the camera pans up to the roof of Apple. So it's foreshadowing as they're saying that I'm sure it was an overdub now in hindsight. But um, I thought that was a really cool shot. Absolutely. Um, kind of foreshadowing. Yeah. And that's the day where we don't get to uh, go inside to Apple Studios. I think day one, they don't allow a camera crew. So we start on day two. I was, I was trying to figure out today, I'm pretty sure that Get Back, when you said that about the shot, pretty sure Get Back as a documentary is up for, has been nominated for, I, had, I don't know if it's an Academy Award or the Emmys. Um, so it is a movie. 
So it is a movie. <laughs> well, it's a documentary, right? Um, it's a movie. <laughs> it's not a movie. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Peter Jackson is is up for something, or it, it's 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 up. It's nominated for something. You can Google it. So so anyway, now we're back in Apple Studios. Everything's yeah, we carpeted. Had their it's all very white. Yeah, we had their uh, unfilmed rehearsal session. Mm, sorry. And then it's, yeah, it is an Emmy. An Emmy. They're so they're it's a TV show. An Emmy. So it's a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple things. Outstanding sound mixing. Outstanding directing for documentary nonfiction. Outstanding picture editing. Outstanding documentary. It's up for five? sound editing yeah so they're up for a couple of emmys so we'll see very cool yeah and i you know i'll vote for them no I'm, i have no say <laughs> but i'll throw i'll throw you're on there huh <laughs> <laughs> so the tuesday is the first film session and honestly this whole show like they have the calendar thing happening but i'm not really paying attention to it too much but this is like their first film yeah. session at apple and like right. you said you can already tell that they're in better spirits um the beatles start showing up and everyone's happy to be there happy to see each other and they're still trying to set up the sound so that means they went all weekend setting it up all monday setting all monday up, yep and now it's tuesday and they're still trying to figure it out and as someone who's recorded before it definitely is um, can be a process, and if you want to do it well, you have to do it right. So yeah. they're trying to get everything perfect, you know, the sound, uh, the the connectivity and stuff. And and Glenn and they keep commenting on it, like Glenn, are you ready for us? Are you ready for us? But in the meantime, they're goofing off and they're like playing all these really funky like '50s songs and. Uh, I thought that I think that's so funny because throughout this whole episode you see them playing dozens of random songs. Like right, right, so Charles, many. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so so you know that not only are they like listening to the lyrics and listening to these songs all the time, but they're learning them on guitar. They're learning these songs. So yeah. you you can see where they're getting some of these songwriting tropes from. Yep. They are constantly plugged in to what other artists are doing and like I think the kind of overstated thing about the Beatles is that everyone followed the Beatles, right? And they did. But the Beatles always had their ear to the ground, too. Yeah. Like, famously, they were at every Hendrix performance in London. You know, they were they're big Clapton fans. Um, they're talking about... Um, oh, uh, yeah. Canned Heat. And, yeah. Uh, there's one point where I think it's John, and he says... Did you see Fleetwood Mac on Late Night Live? And then he just starts talking about how much he likes Fleetwood Mac. And it's like, oh, they're really tuned in to Very everybody else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 1968, there's a lot of great things going on. And yeah, they do the going up the country, the canned heat. He's like, yeah. I love that song. It's like, and yeah, you make a good point. It's like they're hearing these and learning them without, I mean, to state the obvious, like without. Like, if I hear a song on Spotify, I can Google the chords and just figure it out. Yeah. But that's, you know, they're doing it themselves. They have to listen to it over and over and exactly. over and over again. Yeah. And uh, back to Canned Heat really quick. The reason why they were playing Canned Heat is because they were talking about the understated vocals and the drive of that song. Yeah. And in part, that's what inspired, not solely inspired, but I think that f formed some sort of inspiration for Get Back. 
because it has a very similar groove to it where it kind of is understated rock and roll tune that cruises the whole song and it's a little bit more understated in the vocals like you can tell that paul is not doing his usual really loud paul thing he's doing it a little bit quieter and back and yeah. um i think that it kind of pulls the curtain back a little bit to see them jamming on canned heat and talking about how understated the vocals are and how groovy it is and and then going in to get back after that well also a little later on um george they're doing get back i mean we see them doing these songs over and over and over trying to work them out and towards uh maybe a little midway uh, they're doing get back and George says, it just needs a catchy riff, like, 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 I'll be there. Oh, yeah. And then they start yeah, doing yeah. get back or whatever they're, they're doing. Yeah. They're like <laughs> singing. They're trying to figure it out with the yeah. I'll be there with the get back lyrics. And I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly like, you know, <laughs> it's just. Yeah. So they're they're definitely seeing what else is going yeah. on and, and pulling inspiration. And I think we all just thought the Beatles are kind of the Picasso's we do something and then everyone f follows suit, but it's like, no, they're, 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 they're picking up. Too. Yeah. They're getting inspiration. Yeah. So when they start recording and really getting, you know, the, the ball rolling, these songs are not polished at all. No, and it's yeah. like their, their vocals particularly are kind of all over the place. It's a little bit sloppy instrumentally. And, um, and then, you also see them like goofing off again. Like John Lennon is, this is where he really starts to shine when they go back to Apple is yeah. John Lennon like grabs the spotlight for himself and he's just hilarious. And I think he really sets the tone for them to have fun. And you can yeah. see they're almost like, like giddy, like almost like school kids, you know, they're just like giddy to be there and so giddy to be creative and it, it just, you know, it, if you've ever written music before and been in that kind of relationship, you know that it, it's one of the most heightened, like, euphorias you can have is when you're creating something and the right thing hits. And you can yeah. see this over and over and over again with them. And, uh, and I think the reason they feel so safe is because of the humor that's laid out by John because... Paul can be very serious, and he does, you know, every once in a while in his own way, like, try to steer the ship back to being serious. But they they really are allowed to be themselves because of the mood and tone that John sets with his humor. I agree, and again, a combination of them being sort of back home, Apple Studios, John feeling comfortable, and I'm really impressed with them if anybody has done recording, especially writing and recording at the same time, that's very stressful. You've got limited time. You've got a lot of people on the clock with you. And there's a lot of moments, especially in this episode, where Glenn will be like, okay, guys, I got to get a, another tape going. It's going to be like 10 minutes. So he has to switch the tapes over. And there's like a lot of downtime. And during that downtime, instead of just like, like knocking back beers and talking shit, they, they jam out on weird stuff. They at one point they're doing help, but Paul's going like help, need you know, like this weird <laughs> version of it on their own songs, and and then they're doing Ray Charles and they're just messing around and they they keep during this downtime they keep playing so they keep the energy up, yeah. and then they're also just messing around on stuff and keeping it light, which is 
how they get the longevity because some of these sessions, I mean, they talk about when they're leaving at like, oh, 7, 8, 9 p.m. It's when they're leaving the studio. So it's like these are full work days, yeah. you know? They're going like 10 to 9, 10 to 8, yeah. 10 to 7, full, whatever full that days, is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this is when Billy Preston shows up. So oh, I know I you just did a lot of research on him. Yeah, I find him fascinating. I mean, so so Billy Preston is, let me make sure I get this right. Um, Billy Preston is the only non-Beatle member ever to be credited on a Beatles song. And that's Get Back with Billy Preston. Um, so th the Wikipedia page, yeah. Preston is the only non-Beatle musician to be given a credit on a Beatles recording at the band's request. The group's 1969 single of Get Back was credited as the Beatles with Billy Preston. Um, I think Billy shows up, and I think he's in like London doing like a TV gig or something. It, it flashes it's on like the screen. It's like Lulu's or something like that. They kept saying Lulu's. So... So he initially drops by uh, to say hi. The text com comes up on the screen like he's in town and uh, he's unaware that they need a keyboard player. And so, and then John says something along the lines of, he starts kind of explaining what they're doing to Billy. John does. And also, speaking of, I'll keep coming back to this, but the mood gets really good the second Billy shows up. Like, they're all, like, super smiley and, like, excited to see him and they're just kind of, like, stoked to see him and it's just, like, it's yeah. just kind of cute. Uh, yeah. Well, they they had met, where was it? In, like, Hamburg or something like that? They like met... They Billy... I'm going to quote the thing. Billy Preston became friends with the Beatles in 1962 while playing with Little Richard in Hamburg. Oh, I nailed it. Yes. <laughs> you totally nailed it. He draws by to say hi. So John says, I think I have the right quotes here. He says, every number's got a piano part, and normally we overdub it, but this time we want to do it live. And that means having someone in on it. If you'd like to do that, you're welcome. So it makes sense. I wrote this down and the spirit, we haven't talked about it yet, but the spirit of their new project after the TV show goes to hell is they want to make a live record, so to speak. No overdubs, just them playing live. And if you're a Beatles fan like we are, you know that Sir George Martin plays an enormous role in these Beatles arrangements and production like moments in like picture like Eleanor Rigby is just a string right. quartet. Right. Yeah. And th the Beatles sound rubber soul and onward. And, you know, a few of the earlier songs too, they're so George Martin overdub heavy, you know, yeah. they, they really have a lot of George Martin's fingerprints on them. So, when without when there are no overdubs, that means there's n essentially no George Martin to bail them out if there's a moment of the song when it needs something. Yeah. So it totally makes sense for them to have a fifth Beatle like Billy Preston come in and do the George Martin treatment where you yeah. are filling in the blanks. You see yeah. what needs to be done and you make you are that person who puts your fingerprint where it needs to be. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I, I totally agree. Um, so John kind of like very casually brings up, you know, we're doing we're doing this live. A lot of songs have piano and, you know, John and Paul both play piano, but they're doing it live. So they they need a fifth Beatle, like you said. So he just says, if you'd like to do that, you're welcome. 
and it's kind of casually inviting Billy to join the freaking Beatles. And Billy's like, sure, beautiful, I think is what he says. And then he has like this crazy grin, um, you know, kind of realizing what that moment means and what's happening. And by the way, do you do you remember how old Billy Preston is here in this? Do you want to take a guess at how old he is here? God, he looks young. I don't remember, but I, rem I know he was a child prodigy. So he got mm. into the scene very young. Um, so let me guess 23. 22. Oh, man. Yeah, I was so almost. Close. Yeah. He does look very young. He has a very radiant smile. Skinny guy. Like, just, oh, he's, he's just, just a magnetic personality. Yeah. He's, he's so fun to watch when he plays, too, because he never looks down he's at his piano. Like, not once. He's just playing and, like, smiling at the guys and just vibing. And so he says, sure, beautiful. And then John says, right, and then you'd be on the album. And Billy says, you're kidding, and does this very, like, youthful chuckle, like, holy shit, did the Beatles just ask me to be on their record? Like, and John says, well, that's good then. Like, it's settled. And then they just move on to, they have a little bit of a discussion, actually. I think John or Paul is like, well, we'll play you what we've recorded so far. And then George says, why don't we just play it for him live? Like, that's the best way for him to... to learn the songs so they do i've got a feeling um and there's a great shot they kick it off and billy yeah prodigy is is the word he comes in with that uh but they go to paul and paul looks over at him and he just like lights up like yeah like that was the missing yeah. piece like the missing piece is yeah. here it's just like this great moment and then the second they stop that song john says you're in the group it's yeah. just great yeah <laughs> Yeah, he you can tell that Billy Preston has that sort of pitch, whether it's perfect or relative, where he just hears every change and he knows where to fit in. And the, the keyboard slash piano is just an extension of himself at this point. He he doesn't think about it in the same way that we think about our instruments. It it yeah. he is his instrument. So it's really cool to see him in action. Um, and I, I can't remember if I talked about, since it's been so long since our last one, if I talked about Billy Preston, but I used to um, um, sing Nothing fr From Nothing at karaoke all the time oh. <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's so high, too, and it's such a fun song. And my uh, buddy Colin and I used to, used to battle it out uh, who could sing that song in karaoke because we both liked it so much. And uh, occasionally it would turn into a, a drunken duet, but I—that yes. was my <laughs> first experience with Billy Preston, and I, it was—it wasn't even on my radar, honestly, that he was the same guy who did the the Let It Be, like Rhodes and and all that kind of stuff. I think um, really quick, he also—I don't know if this is common knowledge. I found this out the other day, but he also wrote "You Are So Beautiful" about his mom, um, and then Joe Cocker kind of made it famous but that's he wrote that song oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. but um s s so i think a lot of beatles fans and people that have watched get back i'm sure had the same feeling i did when i first saw billy preston playing on i've got a feeling don't let me down and get back i'm just sitting there going i had no idea that like the most recognizable pieces of those songs and musical moments in those songs for me are Billy Preston. Yeah. And it it just didn't 
I just assumed that maybe that was Paul or somebody yeah. else in the Beatles, yeah. and I wish he got a little more spotlight on it yeah. from the get-go because now we're seeing it, and it's like, holy smokes, like, well, he was that magic part. Yeah, you mentioned I've Got a Feeling. That that piano riff is essentially the hook yeah. of, of the, you know, I've got a feeling. Da, 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 da. Like that whole yeah. thing is is all Billy Preston. It seems like he just walked in and did it. I mean, I'm sure there was like a little bit of time before then, but um, also like uh, the get back JoJo, that little uh, descending mm-hmm. keyboard line, which um, Paul does help him with. He's like, we say get back JoJo. Why don't you extend our like range where we are? Like we say that, and then. Or get back to where you once belong. And then, like, the piano's in that range, and then it descends further and further. And, again, you cannot understate how much Paul... Like, because Paul's whole thing that we've realized this whole time is that he loves giving a direction and having people follow it, right? So, like, him, it's effortless with, with Billy because he'll just say something like, just, you know, finish this in our range and then he just does it and paul's like oh well that, well that's perfect let's move <laughs> on from there and that's uh, perfect yeah yeah you can it's he's just such a like billy preston is just such a natural musician i can't i, I mean we've already i feel like we've already really hammered it home but if for those of you listening out there if you haven't listened to billy preston um you should definitely tune in i have a couple just little notes on Billy. I don't want to spend too much yeah, time, but it. I, it's great. Um, so there's after Billy makes his appearance, um, you know, the Beatles have a conversation about it. And uh, for first, John talks about, I think it's Michael, the film guy. And he's given John this, like, what do we have? How many songs are ready? And John says, you know, well, we've got Billy now. Almost like, that solves a lot of problems for us is what it, what he says. And so they really feel like he's sort of the, the key, like the missing piece. And then they have, they have a conversation amongst themselves, the, the four Beatles and George says, you know, Billy sees his opportunity here and he's, he's, he's seeing the opportunity. He's excited about it. And John says, I have him quoted. I mean, I just like him in the band. I'd like a fifth Beatle. And then George says, you know, this blew my mind. He says, I, I asked Dylan to join the Beatles and he would as well. And then they go down this like weird, like thing where John's like, we can just be the Beatles and co and bring all these other people in. And you can see Paul kind of like, not the Beatles and co. He said, we can be Sergeant Pepper's lonely hearts club band. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a, which is a fun, you can see how their minds work creatively. Like they're so there. It's like, duh, you would be Sergeant Pepper's (laughs) lonely hearts club band. Like, which I feel like we missed out on that, honestly. Yeah. But with Bob Dylan in there, I mean, geez. But then, so uh, so you can kind of see Paul, like, getting a little overwhelmed. And then he says, he just makes, like, a little joke statement. Uh, uh, he says so- something along the lines of, like, it's already hard enough with the four of us or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's already too hard with four, so let's not complicate it, yeah. Yeah, but this is when they actually. This is when John actually calls him uh, the fifth Beatle. Yeah, that that's like that's the moment when they do. 
Um, so basically, they do this get back thing. They really tighten up the vocal harmonies, get Billy in there. Um, they come up with the structure for the song. So they're like, they kept talking about breaks. And then Paul is like, let's just make it an, a rock and roll song. Like, we don't need like these breaks and all this stuff. Like, let's just make it, you know, Straight, go. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, George is like, well, in that case, you know, maybe we should just go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, chorus, solo, chorus, and just yeah. make the thing just, just keep going, basically. Yeah. And um, that I think this is when it really comes together, and this is when they decide to, um, to uh, put out a single, and they decide to put "Get Back" as a single. And they said it's been five months. I think it was "Hey Jude" was the last one, if I remember correctly. Y yeah. Five months, and uh, Hey Jude was their, their most recent yeah. single, yeah. So th they really like the recordings. They talk about how much they love the sound at Apple. And uh, it, it's just like you can see this is the moment where it's all starting to really come together. Like the vocals are not sloppy anymore. The arrangements aren't sloppy anymore. They're still goofy in between takes and whatnot. But you like when they're in the, the sound booth, they can hear the result of it being like this has all the potential in the world yeah there's a moment i can't remember if it's when they're actually playing it live or when they're listening back but paul says uh paul says to billy he says you're giving us a lift bill like like the mood has shifted and they're acknowledging like oh this is this is much better yeah. but yeah they they go into that recording uh, or the listen back room and they're all kind of sitting there and you can see there's sort of a joy there that was sort of lacking. Like they were kind of mucking through it like in episode one and the first half of this episode and you can kind of see them just like, okay, here's our ideas, but nothing's landing. And, yeah. and this is when they really finally start to see it land. And we've gotten away from all the stupid ideas that Michael has come up with about like the children's hospital or whatever. Um, all that's kind of behind us now. So this feels like a really good turning point. Yeah. And so right after that scene, um, they get, I think um, Billy is gone. Yeah. And they kind of acknowledge how funky it sounds. So they're like, well, what songs can we do without them? And they start talking about two of us. Mm -hmm. um, and this is another example of seeing like their ideas start to emerge as these mm -hmm. masterpieces that we see the Beatles canon today yeah so once they decide like um so paul is like you know i wrote this song on guitar i don't want to play bass on it i want to play guitar in it and if we need yeah. to have a bass player then we can do that but he starts playing acoustic guitar john's playing acoustic guitar um george is playing electric and of course ringo's playing the drums and they start playing playing this song and this is when it sounds like it does to us now is when yeah. it's like this arrangement of it. Mm -hmm. So you can see like these these uh, these seeds kind of start to blossom. And uh, George's lead guitar is so bass heavy and so and so low on the strings that he almost takes over the role of the bass. That's and interesting, yeah. Yeah, and Paul calls it like something like skinny and lith. He's like, it, it doesn't need a big. <laughs> it was, I don't know if he meant it like this, but he's like, it doesn't need a big bottom. Like it's, <laughs> it makes it skinny and lith, yeah. which I thought was a, a cool comment. Um, and yeah, it, it it does have that that classic 
sound that we think of when we when we think of that song now. So they've found their you know their chemistry with this song. They're like th yeah. these are the the different parts that we need. These are the different instruments we need, and they start to put it together before. And then they start doing all those Scottish accents like we talked about. <laughs> like yeah, all the funny. They loosen up. I I think it's interesting. You know, we know that the final version of the recording for two of us opens with this weird John Lennon going, I dig a pygmy by Charles Hotry and the Deaf Aids, phase one, in which yeah. Doris gets her oats. So you see him do that live as just like a one-off yeah. in this, and it's just like, okay, he was just, you know, John riffing weird stuff like he's constantly doing throughout the whole time, and they decided to use that in the intro to the song. And then, yeah, what I love to see is like the... It was a little more, there was a little more tension in episode one. I remember John saying something along the lines of like, well, if, if Paul's playing guitar, what am I going to do? Like he doesn't, he doesn't love playing the bass as much, but yeah. now they've kind of softened this idea of like, all right, if, if Paul wants to play guitar on something, then, then we'll, we'll make it work, you know? And there is a jam I noticed, I can't remember what they were jamming on. It was some fifties tune um, where Billy Preston is playing bass. It might have been in episode I three. I missed it. Yeah, but I they're kind of free to, you know, mix it up and kind of go around and, and yeah, they're they're just. I like that Paul stands up for himself on that because he's absolutely right. He's got great instinct yeah. there. So the next scene, they they kind of pack it up for the day. They come back, and as they're getting warmed up, um, Paul starts talking about their India trip. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure if you have any notes on this, but I thought it was really interesting the fact that they like went there to find themselves, but really they were just like kind of playing schoolboy behind the teacher's back, like yeah. doing things they shouldn't have been doing, and like they're like, "What's the whole point of us going there to find ourselves?" And if the real us is like doing things behind his back and not doing the things that they're telling us to do. Yeah, they they talk about how. Or Paul talks specifically about this this uh, long shot of John walking with the the guy whose <laughs> name is escaping me right now. But and he says he's you're not you in that footage. Like you look so serious, like stoic, like philosophy student. Like I don't see John there. And then George um, George has George says something along the lines of you know it's interesting we went out there to find ourselves and then we just kind of weren't we should have just been ourselves more like they all have kind of a lingering regret that they wish they just been themselves more instead of trying to be something else. So the guru, the guru that they're with is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Um, yeah. So he's a pretty famous dude. He's really old too. <laughs> he was like 90 when he died, but anyway, hmm. uh, yeah, he's like a transcend transcendental meditation leader. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, – uh, George was a big fan. He was, like, the one – like, they're, like – Yeah. They're all talking about, you know, of course, I mentioned earlier, earlier Ringo's, like, no, do you like India? Not really. You know? <laughs> like, and then uh, – Yeah. And then Paul's talking about how they were supposed to be something, but they were really more focused on songwriting and, like, filming and, like, doing – they, you know, unsaid things behind – his their teacher's back you know like mentioning all this and john not being himself and paul says i would spend every two months out of every four months in a place like that oh <laughs> george george you mean yeah george. yeah 
I knew you meant, but George says. Oh, did I, I say it's someone else? Yeah. Yeah. He said Paul, but it's oh yeah, yeah. George, Sorry, yeah. George says, I wouldn't mind spending two months out of every four months in a place yeah. like that. He loved it. He got it. Oh. I feel like I'd be more in the Paul territory or the or the Ringo territory. Not that I don't want to be in India, but like that kind of setting to me is not not my jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I and I think that when you see how goofy they can be when they're at home, it seems interesting. I feel like there was a lot of pressure on them to do this very like serious sort of transcendental thing and then they just sort of you know, you look yeah, you look like a philosophy student is what he says to John. Yeah. But right around here is is my favorite moment in this whole episode that I'd like to point out. Sure. Uh, there's, they're getting ready. They have, John and Paul have this joke where they're like, uh, wh- one of them says like, I can't play standing up anymore. And he says, me neither, man. And then they stand up and they get like really into it. And Billy's there <laughs> and they start playing get back. And, and then Glenn in the booth is like, Hey, stop. We're not recording. And John says, we're donor of stars. We're bloody stars, you know. Yeah. And then Paul goes, "Look, fuckface, <laughs> don't." <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? I do. I, I love that <laughs> whole scene when they're standing up because they get so, so over the top. Like yeah. they're just so goofy. They're like dancing, and Paul's doing his like back and forth, like rocking thing. They're doing their yeah. accents, and yeah, they yell yeah. at Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> and like, Look, fuckface. And then they just realize <laughs> it's like not for them, so they sit back yeah. down. <laughs> but it's like that yeah. moment is so funny. Yeah, John, John says specifically, he's like, we can't stand, we get too excited. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's the best, it's the best. Um, so yeah, and Billy is just cracking up when, yeah. It's it's probably one of my favorite moments from the entire documentary. Yeah. It's and Paul I can't saying, remember look fuckface, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly when this happens, but this this is like I mentioned like the descent of Magic Alex earlier and they <laughs> yeah. bring they bring like this bullshit invention of his to like the rehearsal and it's like it looks like one of those inflatable guitars that you give like a kid to like (laughs) rock out on for their birthday or whatever yeah and um it's an electric guitar and bass put together where the neck just spins around yeah and then and they're like whoa we should give them 500 quid or you know they're like (laughs) think of some outrageous like 500,000 quid for this Ah, and they're just all like openly mocking his invention which is kind of sad for magic alex i mean he's not there so but I think they're a little jaded from his studio fucking them over yeah. and then they get the the quote new invention from him and they're just like this is a fucking joke. Yeah. Like <laughs> it is. It looks like a like a something out of Dr. Seuss. Yeah, it's so silly and it's all floppy and they don't know where to like they they're just mocking it. It's it's really funny <laughs> but um it, what ends up happening to Magic Alex is um I think it's Alan Klein is uh the their they decide to sign him up as the new manager and guy who handles the money. And if you remember from our um, podcast about Altamont, he was the Rolling Stones manager who completely fucked over their money. So there's a moment where they're talking like to John, they're like, you have a meeting with Alan tomorrow and the Beatles end up going with Alan Klein. um, And Paul is still with uh, Linda's parents Hmm. as his financial people. So I didn't actually get to read what happens to the Beatles and Alan Klein, but I know Alan Klein faced a shit ton of lawsuits down the road, so I would not be shocked if 
if he fucks over the Beatles as well. Does he does he end up being their manager? I didn't I didn't know that. He ends up so he ends up taking over like not only I think let me just make sure it's Alan Klein. Yeah, it's Alan Klein. Um Yeah, you got it. He not only ends up taking over there as their manager and their money guy, but I'm pretty sure he becomes like the leader of Apple. Oh no. And he like fires everybody at Apple. Jesus. Including our guy, Magic Alex. Oh, <laughs> and no. um Yeah. Um so yeah, he uh yeah. He he even fires uh the president, Ron Cass, and repa- replaces everyone else. So it's uh yeah, it's it's a uh, I'm kind of reading it a little bit right now. Um but yeah, I mean, obviously this was their last collaboration. So Jeez. McCartney did, I believe, it says here that the judge ruled in McCartney's favor in 1971, although it doesn't really, um, yeah, it doesn't really get into too much detail. But it's about getting released with his partnership with with uh, the other Beatles who had, mm. you know, had a three to one majority against Paul and like uh, it's all financial shit. And anyway, hmm. I don't want to get too far in the weeds there, but Al- Alan was that guy that, that we're talking about that, yeah. that he's briefly mentioned in the, in the episode, but it's a very important one because it was, I mean this, they, we don't know that this is the last Beatles project, right? Like we don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. But well, it's actually not right because Abbey Road is still to come. I'm fairly certain, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm fairly certain they had already recorded Abbey Road. No, I don't and, think. So. Uh, I don't think so. And this was their last one that they actually got on together. Well, I don't think that's true, but only because they're writing. Abbey Road songs during this session, like oh. Pauline Pam, Mr. Mustard. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, I wrote a song that happened to me called She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. So all these songs are, this is what confused me the first time I watched it, is I was like, wait a second, these are all Abbey Road songs. Like, yeah. But I know we're talking about the, the, the Let It Be album, so that's not the record we're talking about. So when did they record all those? So I'm assuming that's after? And then... Yeah. Maxwell Silver Oh, Hammer, maybe maybe right? I have it back. Maybe I have it backwards. Maybe yeah. Get Back came out after. I'm I'm confused. Or I remember one being like the last project and the other one being the last album. I think you're right. I think they recorded the album is called Let It Be, right? Yeah. And it's not, but it's not the last album that they put out or or Abbey I Road think is the that's last one it. They I, you know what? I think that's it. I kn- I feel like I had it somewhat right because you're. You are right. They oh, have like yeah. Her Majesty in there and the medley right. and all this other stuff. Um, but I, f- I believe, yeah, this is like one of their last. Yeah, I think this was their last like studio situation. So I was a little bit I was a little bit um, off on it. But I guess to finalize it, um, we we were we finally got to the, the right point at the end, which is they released get back after let it be 
Or, uh, sorry, after... Oh. Sorry, I'm so... Bu- <laughs> they released Let It Be after Abbey Road, confusing. right? That's what we're I saying? I think so. All right. I think so. But, but Abbey Road is the last thing they recorded for sure. Yeah. And that, I got to tell you, my first watching of this, that was my biggest what's going on moment where I'm like, okay, they're writing Pauline Pam? Like, isn't, uh, isn't Abbey Road already out? Like, that's what threw me off with the timeline and I kind of wanted from Peter Jackson like a little something where it said like they would go on to record Abbey Road but release them in this order or just to clarify it for us because we're watching them write she came through the bathroom window Her Majesty Paul and Pam Maxwell Silverhammer uh, Mal, uh, yeah, Mal is hitting the hammer yeah. so you're like okay why didn't this make the, the album they're making in the documentary so clearly they have like they have those songs to to come and they still want to do more after this yeah um, so I have next that Glenn they have a time crunch with Glenn right Glenn has to go to a recording yeah, yeah. session in California right so there, I think I have one thing before yeah. that because I do have that note too um before that your uh your blues comes or your blue you blue what is that song for called you again? blue for you blue by George um, yeah they record that and end up using a take that's in the the film yeah yeah. Which is really cool. And the way that that arrangement comes together, too, is just is another example of them coming up with these different ideas that then are created in reality that end up perfect. Like they have that. W- they, I think they keep calling it a Hawaiian, that yeah. little guitar thing yeah, that the they're playing. Yep. And uh, John keeps playing that. And uh, George is playing acoustic. And they tr- decide to make a, a shitty old honky tonk piano out of the perfect uh, grand piano that they have there. Yeah. So they put a bunch of newspaper in it, and <laughs> it gives for you blue that that, that oddball kind of yeah um, signature sound that you think of when you hear that song. And it's just a real. Uh, that's always been one of my favorite songs on the record, even though it doesn't. I mean, I think I Me mine and this song. The two George songs are really, really good songs that don't get enough credit. And um, well, just the sound of this one is, like, so good. There's a, there's a great, speaking of John, advocating for George, uh, there's, there's a great, uh, they record For You, Blue. I think they go into the little listening studio, and someone suggests, pr- probably Glenn, he's like, that's the take. And then John goes, let's do it one more time so that George can get his guitar part the way he wants it like he knew that george wasn't satisfied with that yeah the guitar playing so he was like let's do one more take yeah. the take that makes it in um i think so too yeah yeah so and then so yeah oh, sorry go ahead <laughs> you're fine right here is when they also figure out that the primrose hill they had this idea that they were going to mm-hmm. play on primrose hill so this big hill and uh you know yeah Outside, so they discover now that that's no longer an option. So once they kind of hear that, there's a little bit of an, all right, what's the plan? And George has a great quote here. He says, um, the stuff that's worked best for us in the past is, has never been planned, just like this, you know? And he says, I know, I know what you're moaning about is that there's not going to be a payoff. So this is where we start to see that Paul wants a big finish. Paul wants a, a payoff. A finale, yeah. Yeah, he wants a finale, finale for all of this. And so we, Paul needs some something here, and then there's this great scene that we don't have the audio for. It's too late to get another venue. So Michael and Glenn, I think I'm reading exactly what yeah, yeah. Peter Jackson yeah, put yeah. on the on on the screen. Michael and Glenn have a suggestion that might give Paul the big payoff he's hoping for. 
they could stage a performance at a much more convenient location. And by the way, they're filming Michael and Glenn talking to Paul. We don't have the audio. The audio they're using is John messing around on uh, on Paul's song, You Lost My Little Girl, during their chat. So much more convenient location on the rooftop of their own building. And then there's that great shot of Paul where you see him listening, and then he sort of smiles. They slow-mo it, and he starts nodding. Yeah, he lights and up. Yeah, he lights up. And then it kind of cuts to them on the roof, them checking out the roof, which is yeah, so great. Yeah, which... My favorite scene of them going on the roof is where they drag yep. the director Michael <laughs> <laughs> by his <laughs> by his wrists and they just drag him up there. Well, it's the best. He's got a cigar yeah. in his mouth, so it's so funny. <laughs> so it's so ridiculous. He might also just be a little too thick to get up there. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but they drag him up there literally. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, and then there's great foreshadowing. I think Michael says. So what's funny is John and George don't go up on the roof. It's just Ringo's there and Paul's for sure there. Yeah. And they and Michael says, you know, we've got to get some permission so the cops don't come shut it down, basically. And they're like, can we go on that roof? And he's like, well, that would be disturbance of the peace plus trespassing. So let's just stay on our own roof. Um, And then they're not sure if it'll hold them. And uh, but they they like it. They like the idea of the roof. So, yeah. And then after that, they uh, start drinking some beer, which definitely made me excited for this White Claw here. And uh, they start doing Let It Be. And to me, like, Let It Be has always been one of my favorite Beatles songs. I used to listen to it all the time as, like, a little kid on my, like, Walkman. And um, it always has been really special to me. And just seeing the beginning of it, it already, like, you can feel how weighty this song is and how important it is and there but it's also funny because it's juxtaposed with them just being so goofy during it and like you like they're doing the o's in the background of the chorus like all all intense and screechy like ah (laughs) like that kind of stuff and uh and uh paul's coming up with some funky lyrics they're talking about like (laughs) bloody mary and like all these other other uh entities coming to them (laughs) and um they just get really goofy and it's not really coming together yet and um they uh you can see they start wilting under the beer (laughs) and um yeah that's pretty much the end of the movie so do you have any last takes sorry of this part of the movie part two of the show of the documentary whatever the hell documentary, it is documentary yeah and um do you have any uh any insight on that last part because I, I thought it was really cool to see them start let it be that's the first we've really seen of this song and um this is like one of their most iconic numbers yeah i would say closing my questions are like first of all i do think it's funny that neither George nor John goes up on the roof. Um, I don't know why, because they go back down and those two are still there. And I'm assuming it's chronological and then they start jamming out on Let It Be. So, And I do want to point out that George has like what looks like a hand-painted electric guitar. It's like neon green and pink. and So I'd love to know the story behind that. Um, but yeah, he asks, how does it start? And there's this great moment where they're doing Let It Be over and over again. And George says something like, well, you know, I think there could be like one more verse. And you see Paul look kind of like, oh, man, I don't want to write a whole another verse. And he just goes like, there could be another verse. And George is right. You know, that's what kind of gets the song yeah. back on track. 
And this is also when I think the photographer is is capturing some of the images that will land on the album cover. Yeah, uh, I, I think there I was that earlier as well, too, yeah, the, for sure. And the one of Paul is in the first episode in twitching the warehouse or whatever. But And yeah, so at the very end, the Beatles decide that... So you don't really see the conversation of Paul and all of them talking about, hey, do you want to do it on the roof? Like, you don't... That doesn't, you don't really see that, but it just says, you know, the Beatles decide the stage, the rooftop performance for Wednesday, which I think is four days from, from where they're at now. Um, y- yeah, four days from the concert. And they said it's going to be a Wednesday. Again, I'm not really plugged into this timeline. <laughs> like I think, on the, from well, the I think week it changes. I think it changes. Yeah. But they decide, and it's kind of interesting to see that they're into doing these songs. You can tell like, five or six maybe seven songs are really good um glenn is a little bit worried about having to switch all these instruments and make sure all the levels are good so he's like well then i'm going to need to you know check the levels beforehand up there and then it's going to give us away like all all this kind of energy you know yeah so there's you can tell it's four days is definitely enthusiastic but we'll see how realistic it is. Yeah, and Glenn Glenn makes a point at some some point where he's worried about, well, or maybe John is worried about switching between the electric songs and the acoustic yeah, yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying, yeah. Yeah. Like all these different arrangements, right? So, right. They, yeah, like the honky-tonk piano and like all this other crap. Yeah. Like they're definitely, c- Glenn specifically is, uh, you know, unsure about this right. and how it's going to play out. Which is why I think, and you know, no spoilers, but because it does get cut short in the next in the actual performance. But I wonder if they, I don't think they plan to do any of the acoustic songs. I think I think they just plan to do the lineup with Billy on the keys, and them all playing the regular instruments. And yeah. that's why we got "Get Back" and "Don't Let Me Down." And um, I've got a feeling those yeah. are those are the main, and the first songs they play with Billy. So those are really he's strong on those, and those are the strongest. So you don't see two of us on the roof. You're not going to see. Uh, for you, oh, Blue. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Spoiler alert. We'll yeah. get to it. So anyway, do you have any last uh, thoughts on it? I think it just, I think it ends on a, on a high note. I think they're feeling good. They're feeling good about the plan. I think Paul is finally feeling like they have a, a closing plan that he likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, y- like, you know, we saw John talking we got Billy now. We got Billy now. So they're all excited about him, and it just the morale is is good right morale here. Is high. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's setting us up for the next episode, which arguably is this great payoff um, for all of all of this for them and for us watching. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed watching it, even though it was t- two and a half hours, if not longer, and uh, I definitely watched it clip by clip like I would be in and out and um, I was able to take notes which is good so I could be more linear with it but yeah. I enjoyed it I, I get inspired watching them me too. It makes me want to write music and and do all that kind of stuff but Emily it was good doing a podcast again and uh, yeah. I guess we'll just wrap it up so um, thank you for listening if you enjoyed it please do all the the stuff you're supposed to do like subscribe share with a friend etc cetera, etc cetera. um and uh we appreciate you so 
Emily and I are going to keep searching for searching that for sweet, that soul, sweet music. soul music. Voices carry 